In those days, when the Word of God came to the people through many and various ways, through the prophets, there, were, there was for hundreds of years a burning question on everyone's mind. What will the Messiah be like? How will He think? How will we know when He comes? Will He come on the clouds? Will we meet Him in the marketplaces? Wherever we come face to face with Him, how will we know what will be His characteristics? Isaiah steps in to prophesy and to teach us how to wait expectantly so much so that when He does come, we'll know Him when we see Him. He lists an elegant criteria of prophetic characteristics. The Messiah will have wisdom and understand how to use it. He will carry with Him great counsel and He'll have the courage to offer it. He will bring great knowledge and he will have the fear, that is the reverence in this sense, reverential awe, to use that knowledge. How will we know when we see the Messiah? We will know him by his delight and his reverential awe of God. These will be the Messiah's characteristics for which we can expectantly wait. Yes, but what will the Messiah do with these remarkable characteristics? Will he come, as was expected, with military might, riding on horses flanked by chariots, Infantry divisions, will he march right up to the temple and take his place on the throne of David and restore his fortunes and bring Israel back to its prominent place in the world and its place of power among the nations? Or will he come as a priest or a prophet or both? Will he be an itinerant preacher? We don't know exactly what to expect, but we do know this. The chosen one will treat the poor with equity. This chosen one lifts up the poor, and of that we can be certain. When he comes on the scene, the poor will have good news brought to them. They will adore him, they will flock to him, they will follow him, because his decisions will be equitable. They will be just and righteous. He will strike the earth with his mouth, Isaiah says, and he will kill the wicked with the breath of his lips. That is to say, by 
the Messiah's words and words alone, he will bring down the powers that take advantage of the poor and the meek of the earth. Words and words alone. His only armor, Isaiah says, will be righteousness and faithfulness. That's what Messiah will do. Now, even John the Baptist is confused by this because he is the most prominent voice in Israel at the time. In fact, people and Jesus himself taught the people to regard him as Elijah come home. Elijah, who was swept up in a chariot's fire, is now back in the very person of John the Baptist. And if you want to hear a great sermon, you're going to have to go out in the middle of nowhere and listen to a guy in camel's hair preach by the river. But John the Baptist, even though no one is as great as John the Baptist, according to Jesus, even John the Baptist is hoodwinked when the Messiah actually does show up in the son of Mary and Joseph. He can't believe it. He doesn't understand what he's seeing because he had thought when he baptized Jesus that he was baptizing the Messiah. And when Jesus goes out and begins to do his ministry, it confuses John because it doesn't seem right. It's strange. It's unexpected. He just finished preaching, that is Jesus, a, a very difficult sermon for John to hear. He says, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword. And families will be divided against each other at the kitchen table. And you can't follow me unless you take up your cross, Rome's method of capital punishment. And if you want to find your life, you'll have to lose it. Oh, and one more thing, anyone who gives a cup of cold water to the least of these will have good news brought to them in the kingdom that was all one sermon. It's a lot of different points. Hard to keep up with Jesus and his preaching sometimes. And John just struggled. He can't believe that the one whose coming was foretold is saying these things. My translation of John's response to Jesus' sermon was, What? Wait, what? Are we still in Advent? I thought it was Christmas. We're still in Advent. I'm still waiting. I never get the Messiahs I want. Jesus says to John's disciples when they send to Jesus to ask him, are you the Messiah or are we to wait for another? Jesus says, why don't you boys go and tell John a favor for me? The blind can see, the lame can walk, the lepers have been cleansed, the deaf can hear, and the dead have been raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. Isn't it interesting that the crescendo is the poor? You would think the most interesting thing about that was that the dead are raised, Jesus puts a comma, and then he says, and even more than the dead being raised, the poor have good news brought to them. 
So we can forgive John a bit. It's an unexpected peace. Peace he was expecting, but not. He was not given the kind he wanted. It's a strange, peculiar peace. It's odd, the things Jesus is doing. Because this peace that he's bringing is not merely an end of hostilities. It's much, much more. It is a change coming over people all the way down to their very natural instincts. Their, their brains are being rewired from their hardwired flight or fight or flight response to danger. Their natural instincts are being redeemed and transformed. The living word strikes the earth. And even the animals all of a sudden are getting along that had previously been predators and prey. Everything that was red and tooth and claw all of a sudden is tender and gentle. And a bizarre scene unfolds. A wolf lies down with a lamb. A leopard with a young goat. Calf, a mother and its child, a fatling, lies down and walks alongside a lion. An infant, and this makes me cringe, an infant is playing beside a wasp nest. And a toddler crawling around the ledge of a den of vipers. Even people who are crossing the Bowen Bridge are being kind to one another. <laughs> sure, sure, all four lanes, come on, just all the way over to 26, yeah. I'm a Christian, I'm a member of First Baptist Asheville, by the way, come on. Every scenario, every coupling that Isaiah offers here makes you want to brace for impact. It's like watching National Geographic when the predator sprints across the landscape and attacks its prey, except this, when it finally catches up to it, it just taps him on the shoulder and says, hey, you want to go get lunch together? I'm a vegetarian now. I know you're surprised. So was John the Baptist. All the natural selection falls apart. Everything that we expected to end up in dismemberment or death ends up with new life, creative friendship, partnerships, relationships you never could have imagined if things stayed the way they were. And while we're seizing up and tightening and gritting our teeth and bracing for bloodshed, our deep impulses, our natural instincts begin to give way. Of course, this all makes Isaiah's vision all the more fantastic. Until, until you see it happen in real life and in real time. My imagination, provoked by Isaiah, keeps coming back to a community of one of the most unique communities in the United States called Koinonia Farms. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of Koinonia Farms. Good. You've had some good preaching here over the years. Originally founded in America's Georgia in 1942, during World War II, 
this community gathered together. Clarence and his wife Florence Jordan and Martin and Mabel England co-founded this community. They were determined to be what they called a demonstration plot of the kingdom of God. And this specific demonstration plot would have as integral to its character racial reconciliation. In 1942, in the deep, deep south of the United States of America, black and white farmers came together. They grew their food together. They ate together. They lived together. They shared bank accounts together. This was during Jim Crow. People were still, black people were still being lynched. And the wolf and the lamb created a new friendship paradigm in the middle of the state of Georgia. They mystified the surrounding community and they angered them. If you know the story of Koinonia Farms, you know they were boycotted, they were threatened, their compound was randomly shot at, were threatened with home, their homes being burned. Uh, one of uh, their street side produce stands was dynamited. The Chamber of Commerce gathered them together for a meeting and said, look guys, we appreciate your biblical vision and all, but you need to move. You're hurting business around these parts. They stayed. In fact, they stayed unarmed. And in order to continue their sources of income, they began shipping pecans. I say pecans. <laughs> and peanuts all over the country. They still do. Uh, except, I don't think this is their slogan anymore, but one of their early slogans was, help us ship the nuts out of Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> I think they shipped some to North Carolina. Uh, guess what else they shipped out of Georgia? Close to, by now, a million homes. Habitat for Humanity was born out of this ridiculous, peculiar, out of line, strange, audacious community that was, had its imagination captured by just these kinds of texts in the Bible. How many people in this country have a home because a couple of people said, it sounds ridiculous. This piece is too strange. Let's do it. It is not a pie-in-the-sky individualistic faith that they embraced. It was a radical message of strange peace embodied in a community of people who got caught up in God's dream 
Don't you just love it when an Advent prophecy materializes? A new creation springs from the old. And now we wait expectantly for the unexpected. Our brain matter is opened up to God in this season and God scoops it out and reshapes it into new patterns and new possibilities and puts it back into our skulls and closes them up and sets us free to go and instigate this kind of peace. By the power of God, we are made able not only to lie down in green pastures, but to lie down beside adder's dens and to be faithful there with what God has given us. You know, this is so strange, this vision that Isaiah has, because he's standing and writing underneath a grand oak tree, or perhaps a cedar of Lebanon towering, the shade is plentiful, But he says, no, it is falling down. It's been cut at the root. And when it falls, the earth is going to shake. The good news is the roots run deep, deep and wide. They spread and they sink down deep into the soil where there is life and nutrients that you can't see from the surface. And all of a sudden, a shoot springs up out of one of the roots and begins to grow And Isaiah points to it and says, isn't it strange? The tree has fallen and we thought it was dead. And it grows and spreads and delivers its branches and makes shade for the birds of the air, predators and prey together. So strange. So strange is the deep, deep peace of Jesus.